91.1 Weagle presents the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345. Call now. You can follow Jacob and Bay on Twitter at Bay underscore Marks and at Jacob underscore Hillman 3. Now let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Oh, man, it feels good to hear that again. Welcome back to the scoreboard. It's WGL 91.1 FM. Bay Marks, as always, sitting alongside Jacob Hillman. Feels good to be back behind the mic after a long, hot summer with a lot of great sporting events, but uh, it just feels great to be back on the mic. But like I said, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Jacob, how was your summer? How are you? Like you said, it was hot. It was hot. But, Still is hot. But it, it was a good summer, like you said, full of sporting events, sporting news, everything you could ask for. But, yeah, it felt good to hear. You know, taking a look back at the scoreboard, Cole Kubik, friend of the program, recorded that, so thanks to him. Thank you, Cole. But, no, I'm just looking forward to get back at it because our first full week, I, I guess first week, not syllabus week, so. Yes. We're, we're into it now. We we're already in our, our routine. Um, man, it's going to be a busy semester on my yeah, end. It it's going to be a busy semester <laughs> on your end, too. But, uh, man, there was a lot to happen over this summer. We've got a lot to talk about on the show today. Like I said, oh, we should also address the fact we are never on at this time, but we are now yeah. on Thursdays from 2 to 3. I know everybody's used to hearing us Thursdays from 4 to 5, but uh, this semester we will be Thursdays from 2 to 3. Will that continue next semester? We'll keep you updated. More than likely it might, but uh, you never know. Things change. But for now, Thursdays from 2 to 3, the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Helmets. Let's go ahead and get into it. This past summer, a uh, big thing we'll start out with was the Olympics, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Yes, they're still called the 2020 Olympics, which I do admire, even though they were in 2021. Um but they happened, no spectators, um, and a certain United States gymnast with a gold medal is now a student at Auburn. Yeah, and that's definitely the, the focus we'll take is Sunisa Lee. She is the owner of three medals, one gold, one silver, one bronze. She covered all the bases. She did. And, and you know, it's unfortunate that she won the bronze in what I think everyone said. She's oh, going gold. She's surefire gold here. But, I mean, I think it's more impressive she won the all-around gold than right. for her to win that bars because we know she'll be back in, I guess, three years now mm-hmm. to, to go Paris. for that gold again. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that also the team thing. Hopefully hopefully we got some mobiles back and SUNY, and then it really doesn't matter who the other two are because right. you got two great gymnasts right there where as long as you get people that are, you know, good, you, don't, you just need to have two good girls that can figure it out and – follow behind SUNY and Simone well and that's what I was going to mention was um, she stepped up to the plate in a big time moment because Simone with the mental health uh, issues which obviously mental health comes first yeah I mean mental mental health comes first just as it's just as important as physical health um, and she wasn't feeling up to it we won't get into that but point being SUNY did step up SUNY performed on the biggest stage and um, maybe that'll translate to the new uh, Auburn gymnastics uh, team that she is on now she I mean she you gotta remember she's a freshman yeah. But everybody there's treating her, you know, like she's a seasoned vet. Um, but I think she talked a lot about uh, coming to Auburn and how much she was looking forward to it and enjoying it. But uh, and I think Weagles possibly with Jacob and a few of those student media outlets, maybe fingers crossed, might try to get her in uh, for some kind of interview. But we'll keep everybody posted on that. But well, and what I'll add about the Auburn team is that she's joining a crew with Darian Goburn who is already an all-american national champion yeah 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 so this team's gonna look good and it's got a lot of experience uh ladies like Drew Watson she's a graduate student she's a super senior so you've got a lot of that on this team look out for the gymnastics team this year and it's gonna be a lot of fun with the full arena too and she wasn't the only Auburn athlete or at least former Auburn athlete to get a gold medal Zach Apple the swimmer 
Um, he also collected a few medals as well in the swimming competitions. But overall, uh, the United States, as you might have, might have expected, excuse me, um, like in the past few Olympics, they did finish first not only in the total medal count, but the total gold, silvers, and bronzes um, out of every single country, followed by China, Japan, Great Britain, and the Russian Olympic Committee. Not going to lie. I was sweating the gold medal count. That was close. Was it women's basketball that pushed us over volleyball. the edge? Volleyball. That's yeah, right. Is that volleyball? I think it ended at like 1 a.m. I, I watched it live, and I was I was into it because, I mean, the whole time I was looking at it, I doubted the U.S. I said, there's no way they get this medal count. I don't think the U.S. performed as well as they'd like to in the track and field events, but it was enough to get over that last hump in U.S. volleyball. Did it, I think it was U.S. volleyball's, like, First gold medal. Well, what was the freezing cold takes tweet where somebody said uh, the United States isn't going to finish with with the total gold count this year and freezing cold takes screenshot? Yeah, that I'm sure that happened a lot. But it was a very, very late call for the United States to finally get over the edge. But nonetheless, like I said, they finished in first. And also a note I want to make Russian Olympic Committee. Yeah, I mean, you've got to give the athletes that didn't. That's, yeah, you gotta give them agreed. their opportunity. I hate to call them the Russian Olympic Committee. I know. Regardless, uh, men's USA basketball. Yeah. After they slipped <laughs> early, I mean, every, I never doubted them. I'm gonna put it out there. I, I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I kind of had some faith in them too. I mean, in 2016, I believe um, they kind of started out on a skid too. I think they lost one game. They didn't lose two games like they did this right. year. Um, but no, this team. I mean, they had KD. <laughs> they scared everybody. Yeah, they had KD and several powerful players, and they started scaring people. And I think a lot of people freaked out. Um, but I think they knew what they were capable of, and they got revenge against France and Rudy Gobert and Fournier. Um, but men's USA basketball did take gold. Never a doubt. Never a doubt. I yeah. mean, it, here's the thing. I know that back in 2004, they had the bronze medal. They lost in the semifinals. To, I, I think maybe Argentina or Spain or yeah, somebody. Yeah, it was something weird. But I don't know. I just think we're at this point where, of course, it's kind of the same thing where there's a lot of guys, a lot of superstars not playing now. And that was the same thing in 04, but then, of course, 2008, you had the revenge team, and they came back out, and they dominated everybody. So I think we might be drifting towards that 2004-type deal. But, I mean, if this was supposed to be that year, they, they managed it pretty well. Well, I think you also have to remember a big thing, too, is also that uh, a lot of people like to use the comparison of the 2008 and 2012 teams, like the Redeem team and all of them. But you have to remember... The United States back then had literally the top players in the NBA besides the foreign-born players. The top American players in the NBA playing like LeBron, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, Melo, um, KD. And now you have some of the top guys like Kawhi, who was injured, but Paul George, I can understand him not playing, but you still have like LeBron and Steph and James Harden and Kyrie, like guys who are declining invites. So when I look at the Olympic Games like that, I have to remind myself that we're not at our full potential. True. So, um, But yeah, they did win gold. All praise to them. But the Olympics, nonetheless, I think they did a good job of trying to put it on even without spectators. It was fun. It was I it took me a while to it. It was the very last few days that I was kind of adjusted to watching everything. I, mean, I just didn't I was not I watched a lot of the swimming at the beginning, but that's all I was really watching. Right. Everything I was just What's the name of the swimmer from the United States that had an insane Olympic games? Um from Caleb Dressel. Yes. Man. That dude's insane. That's a stud right there. He is and I think he's young enough where he'll be back yeah. next Olympics. Yeah. So um, he he he's coming for he, he not for Phelps, but he's coming for kind of that Ryan Lochte type level yes. of swimming. Yeah, he I mean he showed out. Um all in all the United States did have a good Olympics, like I said, finished him first. So 
uh, congrats to them. But then moving on, another huge event that happened in the summer. It was a little bit later this summer, but nonetheless, um, was the NBA Finals where the Bucks ended their 50-year wait for a title and brought a title back to Milwaukee. Yeah, and it was... <laughs> Let's talk about game six. Yes. I mean, Giannis, he has established himself as, I mean, should we go ahead and say it, legend? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I thought you were about to pull out the G word. No. Oh, no, 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 no. But no. yes, he is a legend. Um, I think the big thing for him was also flashback to a year or two. I believe it was, was it either last year or two years ago when they had the t- uh, talks about him going to Miami or going to somewhere else. That feels like it was two years ago. Yeah. Um, point being, he said, I'm going to stay in Milwaukee, um, stays there and brings the title back and keeps his word to that town. I could see Giannis, I mean, trying to finish his career out there. I think Milwaukee means a lot to them. It would be a, it would be a Kobe type career. Yeah. Which is somebody he looked up to a lot. And and the thing is, is obviously it's a little bit different because he's not going to get the same attention as Kobe, which I guess he could, if he dominates, like he has been for his whole career because, but because he's not in LA, I just, I just don't see him getting to that level but of course i'm going to chick-fil-a the next day and ordering 50 nuggets can i have a 50 piece with half lemonade what was it not half, half sprite yeah half, lemonade, half, half sprite. sprite it was like an arnold palmer but instead of tea it was sprite well they had that Giannis promotion right they said order like the Giannis or something mm-hmm. yeah that was funny but um yeah Giannis showed out also i mean i know you hate to say it, but bobby portis newfound love from milwaukee i mean that was fun to watch hey respect to him respect to him and also hats off to chris paul i mean you really didn't have a loser in these finals. No, it was a great finals, and I think every game was pretty entertaining. Oh, absolutely. And it was something that we haven't had in a few years. Well, because didn't Phoenix go up 2-0? They did. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the Bucks won four straight because exactly. it was either Suns in four or Bucks in six. <laughs> and when as soon as the Suns lost, Suns well, in four. Guess it's Bucks in six. Yeah. Um, yeah, Suns in four guy. He, he, he went down of <laughs> A fiery, fiery road. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but point being, uh, again, like I said, there really wasn't a loser in these finals just because, I mean, the Suns were kind of America's team, but Giannis was kind of America's player, to put it. Yeah. Um, but I think either way, America was going to be happy with the result because it was a finals we hadn't seen in a while. It wasn't a Golden State versus Cleveland or a Lakers versus, you know, anybody else from the East, mm-hmm. or the, heck, even the Brooklyn Nets. Everybody thought it was going to be the Lakers and Nets at one point. Yeah, I'm sure once the NBA season rolls around, I guarantee you we're going to predict the Nets and Lakers to be in the finals because, I mean, who else are you going to predict? I mean, the Lakers have... You can predict the Bucks. You can predict the Bucks, and you could even say the Clippers or the Suns to go back, or even Utah. See, I just don't like the Suns at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was either. kind of a magical run. But my thing is just Los Angeles joined in the arms race by adding Russell Westbrook and Melo, um... I mean, you still have the big three over in Brooklyn. I don't know. That's a conversation for another day. Right. Um, but back on those finals, I'll talk a little bit about the Hawks, just so I want to put it out go there. Go for it. I mean, that was just an amazing run. Oh, no, absolutely. I really just hey, – it was I, so fun. I got to a point where I was pulling for the mm-hmm. – even against the Bucks because, like, I love Giannis, too. But I was kind of like, you know what? Like, let's see Atlanta go It'd for It would be so cool. Yeah. But, of course, they even with Giannis injured – the Bucks team was just so resilient. Oh no, yeah, that, that's why it was it was easy to pull for them in the finals. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's not like they played super solid either, but they did play together. Like you said, Giannis was just on a tear, and he and honestly, like him being chanted at while he's shooting free throws, and for him to find that rhythm, that was electric. That was awesome. Was I mean, electric. he he got to a point where he was kind of just shooting like seventy five or eighty percent from the line. Yeah, I think he I think it was kind of one of those things where he went good game, bad game, good game, bad game. Yeah, and. And, and one other thing I'll say about the Hawks, 
how how many division or how many playoff series does Luca have? Two. Zero. Oh no. Playoff series wins. Oh wins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then zero. How many? How many does Trey Young have? Two. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well. So far, so good. My quote. My one thing I'll forever remember for these playoffs while we're talking about the Hawks is, uh, I know at Madison Square or what did he say? I know in New York when the show is over they bow or something. Yes. And yeah. oh my goodness, that was a coolest quote. See, it was kind of funny because when the Hawks beat the Knicks, I was like. Okay. Was that a rivalry during the season? Because I remember, like, it just seemed like from the start in that first round series, the Hawks and Knicks were just at each I other's think throat. Because they both haven't been good in a long time. They just they're similar, scrappy. They're similar in a way, and I think it's just because they're so similar. Those games were so good that it just went that way. Yeah. And of course, New York, Atlanta, a little different. Yeah. So that's just how it went. Yeah. Well, that was a good run for y'all, though. But nonetheless, Giannis drops 50 and 14 in the finals in game six, brings home the first championship in 50 years. And before we go to break, real quick, we're going to just talk a little bit about college football playoff expansion talks. Because from the gonna, summer. Later on, we're going to talk about SEC expansion, which we'll talk a little bit about the playoff in there. But the whole playoff 12 team proposal, it, I'm be honest, I'm a fan. I know it's a very tough topic because. There's so many variables, but I think the way the proposal is written out, it looks good. And I like that you just get more football, you give teams more chances, there won't be any more complaining from the UCS of the world. So that's why it's a good thing. And, of course, I know people are talking about, well, it doesn't matter, that 12 team never has a chance. Well, at least they get the opportunity to play, and that's what the big thing is. Also, playoff games on campus, big thumbs up for me. I mean – it wouldn't be good, but could you imagine Auburn going up to Wisconsin to Camp Randall and playing in the snow? That would be so cool. You know, maybe a very big disadvantage. It for would Auburn, be, but, but it'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, my the only two red flags it raises for me is a potential injuries between games like that. You mentioned like the lower seeds playing the high seeds early in a playoff. Let's say they play like a like a five seed has like a Heisman contender on their team or a very uh, influential player and he gets hurt, and then B. I think an expanded playoff, and I'm sure down the road when this play, I'm, I know this expansion is going to happen. There's no way an expansion doesn't happen. But when this conversation comes back up between you and I down the road, I'll speak about games in the season losing their lust and or not lust their uh, luster or what the the shininess, right. the attractiveness. It, it of the makes game. the regular season matter less. Yes, exactly. Like the huge CBS 2:30 games or the uh, Saturday night ABC football games for the ACC and Big Ten. Just just games like that. Well, you um, know. The SEC will be on the ABC game soon. That's By true. that point. By that point, be. yes. Yeah. Um, but that's a conversation for down the road. But those were talks that they did have over the summer. Um, and like I said, we'll get into that. But speaking of expansion, like Jacob said, later in the show in the third segment, we'll get to the SEC expansion. But after the break, Auburn football. Brian Harson has tested positive for COVID, is still quarantining, and we are just eight short days out from kickoff. I'm excited. I am too. I mean, just football back, fans back, let's go. Yeah, full stadium. That's what's great. We'll be back. This is Scoreboard. Baymarks and Jacob Hillman live, WGL 91.1 FM. Thank you for tuning in to the Scoreboard with Baymarks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the Scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Welcome back into the Scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-WEAGLE. And we are moving on to an Auburn football discussion as fall camp 
is it's underway. And, and it's a different one because it's under first-year head coach Brian Harson, who, as Bay mentioned, going out of last segment, he tested positive for COVID last Friday. We haven't had a chance to talk about it because it's one of those things we're not going to hammer in on the COVID thing, but it's, it's newsworthy because he hasn't been to practice. He'll be back on Monday, assuming everything goes well. He feels fine. He said that on Tiger Talk last night. But, hey, I mean, it's one of those things where you don't want to have your head coach missing in the most crucial part of camp because right now is when those – position battles are going on and obviously everyone was talking about the quarterback position but last night Harson said that if there was a game today Bonex would be the starter and that's how it should be I was about to say there's no good time for for a coach to miss um especially during I mean like it could be worse it could be Alabama Georgia last year right which that didn't matter because Alabama still ended up winning um sorry I'm trying to search a page on Instagram to talk about Brian Harson, but um I mean, is it the worst case in the world? I mean, we're a week, uh, like I said, what, eight days out from kickoff now, eight or nine days out? I mean, it'd be worse if it was this time next week. Right. And you had it'd positive be, Yeah, tests. because then you would have the contact tracing and everything, and then you're worried that about forfeiting to Akron, and, and that's not something that you want to start off with. No. With the era of Brian Harson, which, like we said, it happened at a good enough time where they'll be back and ready to go. Uh, for the game week practices. Yeah. As long as, see, and that's my thing is that as long as Harson is there for that game week preparation, I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. Of course, there was, there are talks of there being players out. Also, well, not Mason a Mason is out. Right. He, and apparently he was sick. He, he was actually under the weather, whereas Harson, he's been fine. He's, he was able to do the interview at Tiger Talk and he seemed fine, but it'll be interesting to see. How what I want to know is how hard are they going to go at practice next week? Because missing the head coach, he's going to want to see these guys before a game action. Of course, Akron really, really bad, yeah. really bad. Yeah, you probably don't cupcake. Need, you probably don't need. <laughs> I shouldn't say probably. You don't need Harson for that game. No, you could be missing a few guys, but obviously you want them there because it's your first chance to see them in game. Well, you may want Harson there. It's his first game at Auburn. Oh, that's my yeah, point. Yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. point. You don't need him, but. Yeah. It's one of those things where the first game action, I think it's the most important thing. I said these two weeks of fall camp are crucial, but I feel like even more important is that first game, even against a very, very weak opponent. Well, speaking of fall camp and headlines coming out of fall camp, um, like a lot of people have been talking about quarterback battle. Harson did say um, Bo Nix would be the starter today. Other things, uh, the O-line, I don't know if anybody's seen the O-line depth chart right now, the two deep. Um, pretty much everything's the same except uh, Alec Jackson would not be starting at left tackle if it were opening day. And um, we'll go. We'll Who's go. that left tackle? It would be. Um, um, would it be Brandon Council? Troxel. Troxel, okay. Brandon Council would be at left guard, and then gotcha. it, it'd be Keandre Jones, uh, Nick Brahms, and um, Bradarius Ham. So I'm fine with that. Yeah. And, and of course, that, that just could mean, change. Yeah, that could change. I mean, um, they're also talking a lot about Demetrius Robertson. I forgot who it was, um, but somebody said that Demetrius Robertson was like Anthony Schwartz fast I do remember I forget who said that I forget I think it was one of the wide receivers it might have been Kobe Hudson I could be wrong um but that was a big headline yeah besides the point he's going to be a factor and I really think that he might be Bo Nix's go-to guy and and that's a good thing you've got an experienced guy because the rest of the receiver room very inexperienced right and I think the most experienced guy is Shedrick Jackson he doesn't catch very many passes no he's more blocking and I'll even start out with a hot take for our segment is 
I don't think the wide receiver group is going to be as much of a liability as people think. Um, a, because of him. B, because you have several guys, several of the young guys that did play last year, like Kobe Hudson didn't play a lot, but he still played. Xavier uh, Capers, I feel like a lot of people were forgetting about Xavier Capers. He played a lot last year. Elijah Canyon finished strong and had a good spring game. Uh, you have Javarius Johnson, who's apparently had a very impressive spring and summer. So you have several guys. It's just them getting that growth and experience within the first few games. And I think that's the important thing is those experienced guys getting that experience and someone just stepping up, specifically before the Penn State game. Uh, what I want to see is two or three playmakers really show out before that third game so that you can say, you can vote, you can reply, rely on these guys. Right. You can rely on those guys. That's what you need to do at Penn State. Best because, thing they can do is shuffle them. Right. Because we know what's happened with Bo Nix on the road. It, it hasn't been great throughout his career. So that Penn State and that LSU game are the most crucial games of the season. Yeah. Straight up. On if, the road. If you get past those games, look out. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the best thing for Auburn to do, especially early until they find those guys, is shuffle a lot of them around, get a lot of them playing time, get a lot of them comfortable. Um, and if you can't throw to a wide receiver, you got to remember, Auburn has a stacked tight end room, which includes two veteran tight ends, one a fifth-year senior and one a junior that has played his entire career in Luke Deal. And not to be the dead horse, I'm sure every listener has heard it, Auburn's going to use those tight ends all year. Yes. And a lot. Because yes. we saw in the spring game. Right. And these guys are going to be lined up as blockers. They're probably going to be lined up in the slot. You can line up the six seven Brandon Frazier out wide. You can do so much with these guys. And it's not going to be – I don't think anyone really fits the Philip Blessing-Kirk or C.J. Uzama mold, but they are the most prototypical tight ends that you have because Uzama and Blessing-Kirk really were good as a mix of tight end and H-back. Yeah. But now you've got straight-up tight ends. And in the past under Gus Malzahn, I mean, you had Chandler Cox – just more of an H-back. Wasn't right. really a tight end. Prosh, same way. Yeah. Um, and I completely agree with that assessment. And then one thing also, instead of just the passing game, running game, excuse me, obviously, Tank Bigsby. Preseason All-SEC, preseason All-American. Um, he's been on several watch lists, so they're going to feed Tank. Sean Shivers, a veteran senior. He's still in the backfield. He'll get fed a lot. Um, and then you have guys coming in fall camp that apparently have made a little bit of noise, like Jarquez Hunter, uh, Jordan Ingram, Jay Sharp. And I don't think it's that important for them to be good this year. Right. It's more for the future because right. Shivers will be gone after this year. So you need someone to step up as a backup to tank for presumably presumably his last year. Next year, yeah. And, of course, they'll look in the transfer portal and the recruiting class for that third guy just to keep pushing guys. That's what's right. important. So, but I don't think a lot of people are as concerned about the running game. but um, Not at all. Overall offense, that's probably where the biggest question mark is for Auburn football. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, um, obviously Auburn lost Tyron Truesdale, their most seasoned uh, D lineman. But not to worry because they still have several guys coming in, a lot of transfers, uh, three transfers actually on the D line coming in. And you still have Colby Wooden, uh, Derek Hall, TD Moultrie, several of those guys. Peggy's, he's moved over to the defensive line. Peggy's, yeah. I'm not sure. He, I feel Here's my feeling on him. My feeling on him is that he will not be a factor early on, which is not great because you get those three cupcakes. But I think those three cupcake games might help him really develop and really have a chance to shine in the back half of the schedule in kind of a role position. And then in his, in his next year, second year at defensive tackle, that's when he'll be really good. Yeah. And also, I think a lot of people are miscon have a misconception about the Auburn D-line, too. I mean, Auburn has plenty of bodies on the D-line that it was a very inexperienced D-line last year. They got a lot of experience. Like we said, Colby Wooden had a breakout year last year. He's coming back. Darren Hall, still a strong side defensive end, very um, capable defensive lineman. Then you still have guys like 
Dre Butler, Marquise Burks. Then you have freshmen coming in like Lee Hunter. I mean, Auburn's. I'm I'm pretty confident in Auburn's D line and uh, first year coach Eason. I think Nick Eason's going to do a good job with them this year. I think the buck slash edge position is very important mm-hmm. because a lot there's been a lot of letdowns in that position lately. Derek Hall, if he can be the guy that everyone wants him to be, which obviously that's putting up a lot of sacks, then Auburn has a great chance on the cross that D line to improve as the season goes on and figure it out before the crucial SEC games. Of course, even if Derek Call doesn't do it, you've got Romello Height, Dylan Brooks, Iku Leota, and T.D. Moultrie that can all fill in that role. Right. So you've got a lot of talent there. Right. And I really do think that with all that depth, no matter what, you're going to be fine at the edge position, and it's going to be up to the rest of the defensive line to figure it out as the season goes. Because, I mean, is that not the issue? Is the trenches on both sides? No, yeah. Because we're about to get into the linebackers and defensive backs. We love those. Probably the two strongest spots on the field. Easy. Yeah. Um, And I guess we'll go ahead and we'll start about secondary. Then we'll get into linebacker. Secondary, obviously, um, Smoke Monday coming back, going to be a starting safety, as well as the corners in Roger McCrary, um, Jalen Simpson, different guys like that, Nehemiah Pritchett. Um, But I think one of the bigger notes coming out within the last few days was um, head coach Brian Harson said that if the season started today, Vanderbilt transfer uh, Donovan Coffin would be starting at the safety spot. Or was it nickel? No, he said nickel. He'd be starting at the nickel spot, which yeah, is it, huge. And it is big because he's he's a bigger body. He, he fits that Sherwood build. Not quite as big. I don't think he's going to be as good in the run. But he's going to be a little bit better in pass defense than, and then Sherwood. So he'll make up for it in that area. And I think having an ex, not an experience, but a talented guy like Coffman next to Smoke Monday, it's going to help Monday a lot. Yeah. And, of course, the, the cornerbacks, I mean – the three guys you named and the transfer, Dreshawn Miller yes. from West Virginia. The main. Those four guys are just going to be insane. And we, plus, in the safety position, you still have former corner Zion Puckett. Right. And and Zion talked to the media, and he was talking a lot about Donovan Kaufman and how good he's been. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the secondary show out. And, you know, we're not even talking about Darius Tennyson. He'll have a chance to play as well. I think a big thing also is we mentioned that in the trenches was Auburn's biggest problem right now probably – with this secondary on the defensive side of the ball, the way this secondary is built, and even the linebackers, I don't think it's going to be that big of a problem because nobody's going to be able to throw a lot on Auburn this True. year. Let's get into it. Strongest group on the field. I mean, heck, the two team captains this year are linebackers, the linebacker room. Owen Papo, Jacoby McLean, Chandler Wooten. I mean. And you've got young guys. And young guys, too. Cam Riley. Cam Riley, Desmond Tisdale. Yeah. I mean. That's the, now, of course, last year when the defensive line wasn't playing well, it really showed at the linebacker level because you would see guys. That's why Zacoby McLean led the country in tackles. Right, yeah. right. And I remember the Texas A&M game. There were so many times that they would just they had no chance. They would get dominated by a left and guard. And they had a really good O-line last year. They did. Yeah. So I really think that for the linebackers to be, you know, the top group, like I think that they have a chance to be the talk of the country when it comes to linebackers. They can. And for that to happen, you need help from the defensive line. And I think a lot of people are underestimating. Like, a lot of people are keeping them off their watch list. A lot of people aren't naming them to recognitions for the, like, preseason and stuff. I think a lot of people are going to be eating their words soon. Absolutely. And I, I think that Zacoby and Owen, look out for them on the All-SEC and All-American teams by season's end. That does it for the Auburn football segment. On the other side of the break, a little bit more about Auburn football. 
but the SEC expansion as a whole. We recap how that went over the summer and the impacts that we possibly see on the other side of this break on Weagle 91.1 FM. We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can find more Weagle content at WeagleFM.com or on social media at Weagle underscore AU. And we're back. This is the scoreboard, Weagle 91.1 FM. WEGL, if you want to call in and be a part of the conversation, 334-844-9345, 334-844-9345. That spells out Weagle. And if you want to be a part of any conversation on today's show, this is probably the biggest one to be a part of. SEC expansion. The SEC formally invited Texas and Oklahoma to join the conference, and they will be joining July of 2025, if not possibly sooner. I was going to say, I expect <laughs> to see them in the conference next year, which that's going to make for an even wackier summer yes. of 2022. Yes. Yeah, so and this summer was wild. I mean, it will, and I mean, I think it was right before, if not during media days when this got leaked. That's when the leak happened. The Houston Chronicle reported that they that Oklahoma and Texas it, intended to join the SEC. Yes, exactly. And then uh, there was a meeting with all the Big 12 teams. They weren't there. And then um, the SEC unanimously, I thought it was going to be a 13-to-1 vote. I think we all know who the one would have been. But The one would have been A&M. I, okay, here's the thing with that. They were not going to vote against it unless they had the backing of Arkansas, Missouri, and some other team so yeah. where they couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but regardless, the SEC voted unanimously to send an invitation to them. They accepted. Um, and the entire college football, not even college football, college athletic world kind of got uh, turned upside down because now there's some sort of galactic alliance forming <laughs> between three of the other five conferences. So is the SEC, the Empire, and the other three conferences, not including the Big 12, the the Rebel Alliance? The that's Rebellion. How, that's well, how I would see it. What would be our Death Star? Nick Saban. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. We're just going to build another Nick Saban. Yeah. Even bigger and better. Well, um, that's what's going to happen whenever Dabo leaves for Alabama. Yes, that's our bigger and better Death Star. Um, no, but yeah, so the, the SC, I think a lot of the, it was the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12. Basically, everybody bucked the Big 12. Big 12's kind of screwed, if we're going to be completely honest. Well, I think that's okay. I think even though he said it in the press conference that they're not going to do it, they're definitely working together to figure out what teams are going to pick and choose from that conference to take. Because, like, West Virginia to the ACC makes perfect sense. Oklahoma State, they can fit in either the Big Ten or Pac-12, I think. But then you have the Texas schools, Pac-12 is taking them. And then the, you know, Iowa State and Kansas still probably Iowa State the fits 10. in. Yeah, exactly. So geographically, I think it's what they're trying to do, which is what I think something Greg Sankey said on the Rick and Bubba show up in Birmingham because um, they asked him all these sorts of questions and stuff. But um, regardless, it's it was kind of mind-blowing. I mean, for sure. Uh, it, it leads Especially to, when it actually happened. It was yeah. Like, okay, this is real. Yeah. I mean, and it also, that kind of leads to several concerns, questions, scenarios, like, are we going to have, you know, Auburn move to the east? And The scheduling I mean, is something that I cannot quite figure out because there's so many different ways you can go. Pods, pods, Oh, I pods, no, I definitely pods. want pods. And I think Sankey was on another show yesterday and talked about how we need to figure out a way to rotate teams through other campuses faster than 12 years. Yes, he said that on Rick and Bubba, too. Because, I mean, like, for instance, Auburn goes to South Carolina once every 12 years. I mean, well, Auburn's going back to back back to back years, COVID. But uh, point being, Auburn doesn't normally, you know, go to places like this. Was supposed to be the first this year. Was supposed to be the first year Auburn travels to South Carolina since 2011. Yeah, right. Well, and that was before the schedule was did, all messed up. Then why did go to Auburn go to Lexington in 2010 and 2015? And Auburn played Kentucky at home in 2000. I think everything got 
turned around. It was when the expansion in 2012. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. But uh, regardless, yeah, Sankey did say he wants teams to play other teams on their campuses and vice versa more often, which I'm down for. Um, I think it gives fans a better experience. I think student athletes get to go see the other campuses a lot more that ca- schools they could have chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, they can go closer to home if they're from a different state. So I think the pods would be cool too. Yeah, and obviously you can get in a whole deal about who should be in what pod, whatever. One I, I like that I saw was Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt in a pod. Yes. And, of course, that does that Auburn, Georgia, yikes. But I'm I'm okay with, for especially for Auburn's sake, especially getting in a pod like that. But it, it's also, you could do so much with it that I would have to see it all laid out. Four pods of four teams, and you play everybody in your pod plus, I guess, one team from every other pod. Because, of course, the other option is just to move Alabama-Auburn to, to the, the east, east, which I would be Missouri fine with. back yeah. to the west. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I'd be fine with that, too. I mean, due to the fact that, A, Auburn, A, Missouri shouldn't be in the east. Right. I mean, I think in 2012 they kind of screwed up by leaving Auburn and Bama in the west, or vice versa, whatever. Um, so I'd be fine with moving Missouri back to the west, and that also creates more Big 12 matchups, or former Big it 12 does. matchups. Um I don't know. That's going to be interesting to see, and that's another conversation we'll have down the road, but not even just football. I mean, they bring great basketball programs. I mean, Oklahoma, the home of Blake Griffin, Buddy Heald, several greats. Texas, the home of KD. I mean, several great basketball players and baseball and several other sports and academics. I mean, Oklahoma softball is incredible. uh, Oklahoma softball, yeah. I mean, the SEC is, are we going to, for sure, the toughest conference in the the country now? If it wasn't already. Right. Um, are we going to call the Auburn-Oklahoma baseball matchups the Sonny Galloway Classics? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't do that. <laughs> we don't mention that name around here. But what I'm worried about, it, not worried, wondering about is the Auburn-Oklahoma game this year yeah. in basketball. Yeah. Is SEC Big 12, as I throw up air quotes. Who does Texas play this year? I haven't. I talked about this. I believe it might be like Tennessee. Hold on, I'll look it up. But it, it's it's. But no, funny. yeah, I thought about that too the other day when or when this happened about a month ago. Um, Texas will be playing. They will be. Are they hosting? They're hosting Tennessee. Yeah. So it's a little bit different because obviously Texas being host, you're not going to get. It's up to Auburn to make jokes and yeah. figure out how to make it funny. Yeah. Um. I mean. I mean, everybody's initial thought is going to go to football, like the impact this is going to have on football. But, I mean, look at the other sports. But, yeah, the other sports are going to be, like, Alabama-Oklahoma softball every year. Well, and that's something that <laughs> I was talking to a friend, Will Kelly, and he was talking about, wait till Auburn gets a, a softball schedule, Oklahoma, Alabama, Florida, and then, like, Tennessee. Or LSU. or That's not going to be fun. Yeah. it's I'm not going to say anything. Um, no, yeah, I mean, it's not just football. I mean, you have several other of these sports that, I mean, Auburn is going to be competing with with Texas and Oklahoma, but uh, I think, what was it, a lot of people were making jokes about Texas joining, like, uh, Oklahoma was some sort of giant, like, declaring they wanted in, like, to some castle or something, and you see, like, a little kid, like, just peeping its yeah. head on its leg, and it's Texas. That's, I mean, it's exactly right, because... Just because of what Texas has been the last decade and a half since the Vince Young touchdown and since Colt McCoy Colt got McCoy, injured, yeah, you just—it's kind of funny. You laugh at them because you know Seth Mallinger went up there and said that they're back. They weren't. 
hopefully they'll be back. Well, hopefully they'll be back by the time they join the SEC to make it not be as hilarious as it could be. Because if Texas A&M's whooping up on them every year, that is going to be something. Yeah. Um, but no, I, it's going to be a, a weird adjustment. And then say what you're going to say. I want to say the alliance is what I'm just still stuck on. I was about to say something about that. Was it? I know I said arms race earlier talking about the Lakers, but is this almost a similar, or not similar, but is this almost a considered arms race in the world of the Power Five? For universities? Yes, because... I also think that a lot of group of five schools are going to get brought up. Yeah. Because these conferences are going to stop at 16. I think 20 is the cap. But I think it'll be between 16 and 20 teams in each conference. So you'll have the remaining eight Big 12 schools split up. And then Cincinnati, UCF, Memphis, Houston. UConn. Boise State. Not UConn. Boise State. (laughs) (laughs) And BYU, those mm-hmm. teams are going to be invited to these big mega conferences. I mean, if UConn really picks it up in basketball, maybe. Yeah. They got to win a national championship this yeah. year. But their football program is not. I'm not going to disrespect Kimba. <laughs> no. Cardiac Kimba, Shabazz. But, no, but that was also another big topic when, when, when the Texas and Oklahoma news got announced was, was if the Big 12 does disband or let's just say an alliance forms like that, it's what group of five schools do we go ahead and bring up? I mean, which ones Which ones are athletically competitive enough to play teams like this? And the, I think I still think even more so than that, are they going to generate enough money Yeah, on TV? And that's the big thing is that the SEC got the two biggest schools that are going to generate that money that would lead their conference. Like, of course, Ohio State, Michigan, those are probably Michigan's better. Michigan's higher revenue than Texas and Ohio State is probably higher than than Oklahoma is. No chance they leave the Big Ten, though. Not no. a chance. I guess Notre Dame's another team, but and shoot, I mean, also I'm, not joining the SEC. I was about to say some conference may try and put some pressure on them to try and join. I mean, well, I think you know, going back to the playoff expansion, you remember how in the in the in the proposal it says that if Notre Dame's not in the conference, they cannot be a top four seed. Yeah, they, I yeah. think no, I think the athletic director knowingly did that because he said he knew that. Because he worked with Sankey on that, with the Mountain West Commissioner and another athletic director. Yeah. He knew what Sankey was doing. Yeah. And he said, well, Oklahoma and Texas are going to have to join, or they're going to join the SEC. And once these super conferences start, Notre Dame's going to be following in those footsteps. Right. So he put that in to make everyone happy, knowing that it didn't matter. Right. Man. It's going to be a wild ride until— I think the decade of 2020 is going to— Well, Mike, what's the next step? Well, college football playoff expansion. Well, I mean, I think mo- what my, what I mean is, what's the next spec, uh, next step in conference expansion? Oh uh, yeah, and that I mean that's the huge blank answer box, and nobody can really. My my prediction since this all came out was West Virginia, then the ACC. They're gonna fall in love, and West Virginia they just don't fit in. They got to travel so far. I mean, they got to go travel as far out as west as. Like Baylor, they have a great basketball program that can fit in right with the ACC oh, basketball culture. Perfect. I think if that happens, I think Notre Dame's going to join the Big Ten, geographically in South Bend, and also academically. Academically, and I know like in basketball, is it basketball or is it just basketball, or do they do it in baseball where they play in the ACC? I believe it might just be basketball. Okay, well, even though they're doing that for basketball, I still think if that happens with West Virginia, then Notre Dame's going to feel the the pressure by trying to move to the Big Ten. That probably is baseball, too, thinking about it. But 
Yes, I, I just agree. have the Pac-12 just sitting out here just... Well, and, the, and see, that's the thing is, I remember they talked about it. They're going to collect the trash. It's not a contract. The alliance is it. It's literally based off trust. And I'm, if I'm the Pac-12, heck to the no, I'm not trusting all of They're going to left out in the dust out on the West Coast. They really are. Like, who else are they going to pick up? I mean, like yeah, I said, like Oklahoma State, maybe. And the two Texas schools, yeah. Texas Tech and Baylor, maybe TCU. But if you're going to pick up a group of five school... The only the other ones I can think of out there is maybe Boise State. Boise and BYU. BYU. I mean, But here's the thing. We could also be assuming all wrong that the Big 12 is going to collapse. And they could pick up Boise State or BYU. Yeah. They could pick up Houston or Memphis or Cincinnati or UCF. And, you know, I'm almost for that. I'm almost for the Big 12 staying alive and building their conference up while the other conferences kind of scramble. So things keep up with the SEC. As much as they annoy us, it might be not a bad idea for the NCAA to have a word in all of this. They have no power. Yeah, they have none. <laughs> We're going to get back to the scoreboard on the other side of the break. Bay Marks and Jacob Hill and break down the MLB playoff race on 91.1 FM. Welcome back into the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. First show back of the semester. Jacob Hill been sitting alongside Bay Marks. It's the last semester of the, or last segment of the first show of the semester. Too many S's there. And we'll be uploading the podcast after this in case you missed any of the show today talked a little bit about what happened during the summer and our thoughts on that as well as Auburn football practice fall camp and then the SEC expansion but now let's look at the major league baseball playoff race because I mean both of our teams are in it unfortunately for Bay his Red Sox fortunately my arch rival is 111 straight that's what I was gonna say you're not really reeling you're kind of stagnant but the issue is the Yankees and even the Rays eight and two in their last 10 here's the deal Back in May and in June, right after the season got back and started, and Alex Cora just came back, it looked like nobody could beat us, dude. We were on top of the East. We were on top of the American League, for for that matter. And then all of a sudden in July and in August, we've just been slipping. New York gets healthy, and we finally got Chris Sale back. Um, I don't don't know, man. We're we're only seven and a half games back of Tampa Bay. Um, the wild card, I believe we are still... Y'all are one and a half games ahead of the athletics. I was about to say, I believe we're still holding on to a wild card spot, and, so we're good. And what I'll say about that is, fortunately, is the athletics and Mariners are kind of beating each other up, and the whole AL West is a little bit. Yeah. So, you might be in a good position to hold on to that wild card spot, even if the A's and Mariners continue on their trend, which is a good one. I would just prefer to win the division. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but no, Plus. I'll get into the playoffs anyways. I can, anyway, I can <laughs> right. get in there. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're not holding on for dear life right now, but I mean, it wouldn't be terrible to see us just pick it up right now because, I mean, in our last 10, we're 500. And that's I mean, what I'm saying is the Red Sox are stagnant. They're not even if, – if the Red Sox were 2-8, and eight, there's dude, reason for concern. We lost to the Rangers. And the Twins last night. Yeah, but that was because Josh Donaldson was a beast in extra. Fair enough. So – but we lost to the Rangers. That was a little bit of cause for concern. But Well, luckily, you get that postponed game later in the season where if you need a win, you better get it for that game. Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to pull up our schedule right now. I'm trying to see who we have left. See, in our remaining series, I mean, we play Tampa Bay. We play Cleveland twice. We play Tampa Bay again. Chicago, Seattle. We play Baltimore who, twice, which that should be six-game sweep. And then we finish the season off with – New York at home, Baltimore, and then um, at the National. So I think 
And we also play the Mets in a midweek um, series. But I think the New York series from September 24th through the 26th, that potentially, if we can get on a roll and if we can get the Yankees to slip up, I think that potentially could put us in a lot better of a position. Well, I mean, looking at the rest of y'all's schedule, it's, I wouldn't call it easy, but you've got a lot of bad teams. You've got one more against the Twins. You have six games against the Indians. You have the Orioles six times, and you have the Nationals and the Mets. Yeah. So if you can grab a series win, I think Seattle, you kind of need to grab a series win there, but also the White Sox. Yeah. If you get a series win in Chicago, I mean, look out Tampa and New York. Yeah, because, I mean, Chicago, the White Sox, they're, they're a good team this year. Um, they were my World Series pick. Not, oh, yeah, they were. Okay, let's go over to the National League. And, Jacob, we'll go ahead and start out with the Atlanta Braves. I mean, what in the world? Dude? A lot of happiness lately. Eight and two in the last ten. The Braves are playing their best baseball. Without their best player. Correct. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and you know, when, when Acuna went down with that injury, I was almost ready for the Braves to pack it up. Yeah. I, I would not have been opposed to just saying, well, I mean, until next year. For the longest time, especially throughout May, June, and even a little bit of July, I mean, Y'all's division was kind of just sitting there. Everybody's heads were kind of just bobbling above water. Everyone's still bad. I yeah. don't. I wouldn't say the Braves are you bad. You do have a little bit of separation now, though. Correct. Uh, the Braves are five games ahead of the Phillies. The Mets, who were leading the division, I think maybe two or three weeks ago, they are seven games back in third place. I mean, The Braves had a heck of a trade deadline. Yeah. When I saw all the moves, they grabbed, I think, Eddie Rosario first, and they got Richard Rodriguez, but then... The two moves that have probably been the best are Duvall and Jorge Soler. Now, of course, Jock Peterson was traded for about a week or two before, and he's been great. And I really do like what the lineup looks like right now. You've got Ozzy hitting one, Soler at two, Freddie three. Ozzy is Ozzy. He, he goes hot and cold, and he's been a little cold lately, but whenever he's hot, look out. Soler is an on-base machine. Freddie Freeman, I mean, he's been... MVP caliber the last month. And in cleanup, you've got Austin Riley, who I'm not on board with it, but a lot of people put, or a lot of Braves fans are talking about him as an MVP candidate, yeah. which, of course, at Tatis does what he did last night, or I should say this morning. Yeah. Then Oof. you're not beating him. But it, it, Dansby, he's been better. He hasn't been striking out like he was in the month of June and July. And then, of course, six through nine, it's just whatever. Because whether it's Jock or Heredic in center, and then Soler, you can just rotate the outfield like crazy. And like I said, Rosario, he's still in AAA. He is a five-game multi-RBI streak. If we bring him up, then you've got another option in the outfield. So it's kind of one of those things where when the Rays visit an AL stadium, you've got Soler at DH, and then you've got the outfield of from left to right, Duvall, Heredia, Peterson. Whenever there's no DH... Stavall, Jock, and then you have Solaire. And sometimes Jock and Heredia switch because Heredia's been really good. But the the point is the fact that the Braves actually have all these options after Acuna went down, after playing so bad at the beginning of the season, is just kind of wild to me. Now, with that being said, I'm not sure what to expect when the Braves get to the playoffs. They will probably face the Brewers in the opening series in the NLDS because the Giants will face the wildcard team of the Dodgers or the Reds slash Padres. I just I just don't like the Braves' chances against any of those teams. 
Here's That's the, my issue. Here's the big thing. You have two Giants out in the West. So I'm not saying the, the playoffs aren't going are gonna to be worthless for y'all, but I mean. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. You make all these trades, and then you've got to play these teams that are so, so good because you're not beating the Giants. No. You're not beating the Dodgers. You might not even beat the Brewers. I don't know. I'm happy because the Braves are winning. Just enjoy it for now. You're right. Just like Hawks basketball. That You know what? I like that outlook. It's a great comparison. I like that mindset. Yeah. It's perfect, babe. Just enjoy it for now. Now you've cleared my head for the weekend. Just enjoy the Braves while they're playing well. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for the scoreboard today. We appreciate you joining us back for our first show of the semester. As for next week, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman will be live back here on Thursday at 2 p.m. to preview Auburn football opening day next Saturday. You can catch the replay on our podcasting systems. Anywhere you find your podcast, this replay will be up there. As for Jacob Hillman, I'm Bay Marks. Thanks so long and see you next week. And this has been the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You've been listening to The Scoreboard on 91.1 Weagle with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Listen every Thursday at 2 p.m. as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at weglfm.com. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at wegl underscore au.